Christmasless Keys for doors that don't exist I crack my teeth on pearls Tear into the history Show me what it means to me in this world Yeah, in this world Cause I am due for a miracle I'm waiting for a sign I'll stare straight into the sun And I won't close my eyes Till I understand or go blind I see the parts but not the whole I study states and solids but no pearl Glen on pearls. Do I trust my heart or just my mind? Why is truth so hard to find in this world? Yeah, in this world, cause I am due for a miracle. I'm waiting for a sign. I'll stare straight into the It's kind of weird when you go to a church and the pastor gets up and adjusts the spotlight so they'll shine on him and not the band, huh? Like I just did. But it's because we're trying to keep him off that screen and yet so I can still see my notes. So hopefully you can see the screen during the service, okay? And, you know, also, hey, I'm a big deal. Um, you know, in the, for, for quite a while we've been working our way through the book of Genesis and tonight we're going to kind of take a, a break from that. At first... It was uh, because of the Super Bowl, and I knew that only the ultra-spiritual, highly chosen, favored ones would be here. Yeah, that's right. As opposed to the heathen sinners who are listening on tape even now. <laughs> so anyway, 
uh, we thought, well, let's take a break for the Super Bowl from our series through Genesis. But also, uh, for another reason, I thought um, this would be a good time to talk about our strategy and vision. Because we've been talking about the the warehouse and where we're going to meet and when and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's raised a lot of questions. I wrote a letter that went out to all of you. Hopefully you read it. Frances uh, said, hey, can we talk about that at House Church? And she came up with some questions about another Bible verse. And so I thought, well, you know, maybe we can talk about that a little bit tonight. And so I'll encourage those that are listening on tape um, to, uh, well, I can't that way, can I? But I'll write them a note and say, listen to this message because it's about us and about who we are and what I think God is calling us to be. All right? So let's pray. Father, thank you that you have chosen us, that you have called us into your presence to see you and to worship. In Jesus' name, I pray that that would truly happen. Amen. King of the Britons. Oh, don't grovel. One thing I can't stand, it's people groveling. Sorry. And don't apologize. Every time I try to talk to someone, it's sorry this and forgive me that and I'm not worthy. What are you doing now? I'm averting my eyes, oh Lord. Well, don't. Now knock it off. Yes, Lord. Right. Arthur, King of the Britons. Your knights of the round table shall have a task to make them an example in these dark times. Good idea, O oh Lord. Of course it's a good idea. Behold, Arthur, this is the Holy Grail. Look well, Arthur, for it is your sacred task to seek this Grail. That is your purpose, Arthur. The quest for the Holy Grail. idea oh lord of course it's a good idea that's a brilliant clip should win academy awards i think but anyway it raises an interesting question and the question is this how would you behave if god suddenly manifest before you in all of his glory like in matthew chapter 17 matthew 17 verse 1 after six days, now after six days comes the seventh day. That's important, for on the seventh day, the creation is done, it is finished. And we gather on every seventh day to worship and remember that it's finished. And after the six days, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. You know, in Exodus, Moses climbs a high mountain, and the glory cloud covers the mountain. He waits six days, and on the seventh day, God speaks to him, the law. The prophet Elijah also climbed the very same mountain, and God spoke to him, telling Elijah to prophesy. When Moses went up that mountain, the consuming fire, the glory cloud, was so incredible that the people were so afraid, they asked that God not speak even directly to them. So God had Moses build this tabernacle, a sanctuary, a, a booth, so that God could dwell among his people without killing them. 
It's also called uh, the holy place. That's what sanctuary means. Solomon eventually turns it into the stone temple in Jerusalem. The last book of the Old Testament ends with this prophecy. This is from Malachi 3 and 4. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, but who can stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap, the son of righteousness. Then Malachi tells them to remember the law of Moses and look for the return of the prophet Elijah. Matthew 17, on the seventh day, Jesus led them up a high mountain, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light, as no fuller could bleach them, adds Mark. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. This is big. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents or three tabernacles, three booths. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. They saw no one but Jesus only. No one but Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision. Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Don't go tell it on the mountain, over the hills or anywhere. Don't tell. You know, in the Gospels, Jesus spends much more time telling his disciples not to tell than to tell. He doesn't even tell them to tell till the very end. In fact, he's just told them not to tell in the last chapter. That's Matthew 16, comes before Matthew 17. That's the way it works. Jesus asks, who do men say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to Peter, uh, Peter, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father who is in heaven. You are Petros, rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And then he strictly charged them to tell no one. <laughs> Bummer. And now he strictly charges them to tell no one. Not until they climb one more mountain. They'll climb it on a Friday, the end of the sixth day, the doorway to the seventh day. But now on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus morphs right in front of him. I mean, he's on fire with glory. All history, the law and the prophets, they all come crashing together in this incredible moment. The glory of God descends, and what does Peter do? Good idea, O oh Lord. It's good that we're here. He offers his approval. And then he says, would you like me to build three tabernacles, three booths, three sanctuaries? And God himself basically says, Peter, Peter, shut up! Look! Listen! 
This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What the heck is Peter thinking? This is what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to turn and find two or three other people and answer these questions three. Number one, what is your name? (laughs) Two, who will win the Super Bowl? And three, what was Peter thinking? Okay, why, seriously, why did he want to build these sanctuaries? Okay, and I don't know is a perfectly good answer. So just go ahead, turn and do that real quick and uh, see what you come up with. Okay, that's enough fellowship for now. Um, hopefully you got through the name one. Who's going to win the Super Bowl, by the way? Cardinals. Who? Cardinals. The Beagle. The Eagles. The Beagle. Oh, you're into that dog Super Bowl thing. That's so weird, Chris. You, I mean, okay. All right, well then let's go with the third question, okay? Um, What do you think is going on with Peter? Why does he uh, suggest building tabernacles? Any ideas? I mean, just throw them out and then I'll tell you the the right answer. Uh, No, I'll tell you what I think, but let's hear what what we're thinking. What? It was in the budget. That's a good, tabernacles are cheap. If Colorado was in a, a warmer climate, we'd go with tabernacles. Okay, other ideas? Mom, just being Peter, what does that mean? Okay, anybody can answer the question except my mom, okay? Anybody anybody else with any ideas? Yeah, that's what they always did. Put God in a box, that's great. Other ideas? Yeah, tabernacles are really spirit. I mean, there's a whole history behind that, right? Yeah. Got other things? A gathering place. He's going to provide a gathering place for people to come. Okay. God wanted to see him fail, so he made him say, I'm going to build it. You're so deep, William. That's the problem. That's like three levels down, but I think that's probably right. So. Yeah, provide a holy place. Yeah, so the experience wouldn't drift away. I mean, we all kind of do that. Yeah, I think all of those things are correct. I think they're right. The Gospel of of Mark points out that Peter was terrified and he didn't know what to say. Um, That's what Mark says. And and we think Mark probably was real close to Peter. So in in other words, uh, Peter uh, says, let's build religious buildings out of anxiety and fear in the moment. Yes, and mom, mom was right. But you don't have to point that out, Mac. Um, and and like, we, like we said, Mac can't talk either, okay? Uh, like we said, that word tabernacle or skene in the Greek, it refers to that Hebrew idea of the tabernacle 
or that, that was built, you remember, by Moses so that God would travel with his people on their wilderness journeys, that it would house his presence and glory. And now this is, is really interesting, but if you read the Old Testament closely, you realize that God, uh, he wanted that tabernacle, but he didn't want the temple. Um, David and Solomon turned the temple, or the tabernacle, into this immense stone temple. And when you read the story, you realize why. Um, having that much power and glory in your midst is, is dangerous. If you read the story of Uzzah, you'll remember how he's just destroyed by touching the ark. And so David and Solomon appear to want to put it in a more safe place. In other words, you, you don't store weapons-grade plutonium in a tent, you know. You put it in a stone bunker. And so God wanted to be in a tabernacle. They tried to put him in a stone temple. And right now, Jesus' face is shining like the sun. God's glory is descending, and I think Peter feels so out of control, he, he just wants control. Like Faith said, he, he wants a box for this thing to contain all this glory. The best container that he could build in the moment that was in the budget was a tabernacle. And, of course, the tabernacle had all kinds of history, but I think Peter desperately wanted some walls, both physical walls and mental walls. He wants to contain the glory, and he also wants to comprehend the glory. He says, let me build three tabernacles. He wants to parse it, dissect it, compartmentalize this experience. It would have been better if he said one tabernacle, because Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets are fulfilled in Jesus, but Peter's trying to dissect it, I think in order to comprehend it and explain it and judge it. You know, it really is kind of comical the way we think God wants our judgments, our approval. Peter says, Lord, it's good that we're here. It's good. This is good. Good idea, oh Lord. Of course it's a good idea. And you know, a, a denomination is kind of like that. It's kind of like a man-made tabernacle, an effort to contain and comprehend the glory of God. So you look at church history and God's glory will manifest in a certain way, like folks suddenly speaking in tongues or people really getting back into Scripture, a bunch of folks repenting, and we immediately feel the need to build containers for the Spirit. Teach classes on how the glory works, Build walls to judge who's in and who's out. Take from the tree of knowledge, good and evil, and build a religion. See, out of anxiety and fear, I think Peter gets religious. Moses and Elijah, they represent the law and the prophets. Maybe he's thinking, I better fulfill the law and the prophets. I, I better do something. The glory of God appears, and he looks to himself thinking, I better do something. The world tells me, I better do something. But what if I am the problem? What if I am not? I am. In the Old Testament, you know, the glory of I am, the glory of God fills the temple. 
And like someone just said, uh, Peter can't find the temple in which to place the glory. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and Peter can't find the temple. He thinks, I better build the temple. Better do something. I better do something. I mean, do you have that experience when God says, I better do something. He's thinking, I better do something. I better do something on the Sabbath the seventh day. Peter wants containment, comprehension. He feels responsible and religious. You see, I think Peter is trying to build the church where everybody can gather. That's what it means, the ecclesia, the people called out. Remember it was just the last chapter when Jesus said to Peter, You are the rock, Petros, and on this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church, but I think Peter heard, you will build my church. Jesus said, I will build my church on a rock that that is you. Like Peter, you're one of the first stones in my temple, (laughs) a sanctuary of living stones. So do you get it? Peter cannot build the church. Why? Because he is the church. Peter cannot build the temple. Because new information, he is the temple. Peter cannot build the sanctuary, for he is the sanctuary. Peter cannot fulfill the law and the prophets, for Jesus has already fulfilled the law and the prophets from the foundation of the earth and will fulfill them in Peter. Peter cannot comprehend the mystery, but the mystery even now is comprehending Peter. Peter can't build a container for God's glory with his deeds, for Peter is a container for God's glory, built by God's deed, grace. He's a container for grace to be filled with grace, who is God, filled like a bride is filled by her groom, like a grail is filled with wine, just like a body is filled with blood. The problem is that Peter is full of himself, and so he thinks the glory must come from himself. I think that's why on the way down the mountain, Jesus says, guys, don't tell anybody about this. <laughs> Not yet. Because you see, it's a tragedy to seek the glory of God and not know what it is. It's a tragedy to search the world seeking the holy grail and not know what one is. To search the world for the container of God's life and not know what it is. A tragedy to spend all your energy building churches and not know what one is. To build a sanctuary and not know that the sanctuary is what you are. A tragedy and and a travesty. A, A travesty because the Jerusalem we build is a lie. about the Jerusalem that God builds. The sanctuary we build 
hides the sanctuary that God builds. Sometimes the church we build is the direct enemy of the church God builds. It's the beast, the monster, the religion of the antichrist, the false Christ. You know, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome is the most famous church in all of Christendom. And supposedly, St. Peter is buried there. But it's not the church Jesus built on Peter. In the 16th century, Pope Leo X offered indulgences for the building of that church. Many bought those indulgences thinking they were buying salvation. And you see, that's the lie directly opposed to grace that builds the church. And we Protestants aren't really any better. We build buildings based on tithe money obtained through fear. So we build our church of law and fear by lying about God's church built entirely by grace. Sometimes, as in war, we even kill God's church to defend our church. So Jesus says, guys, guys, don't talk about the vision. Not yet. Not till you've gone up one more mountain. And he speaks to them about his death. You see, the other mountain is Mount Calvary. And on that mountain, they'll be emptied of themselves so they can be filled with God. They'll be emptied of their dreams so that they can become God's dream. They'll be emptied of this world's glory so they can be filled with God's glory. Because it's a tragedy that we seek glory and we don't even know what it is. Over the years, I've uh, had the privilege of doing several chapels for the Broncos. The first one I did uh, was the year that they went to the Super Bowl, and I'm pretty sure that probably had a lot to do with the, with the chapel. <laughs> but it really was cool doing them, and it was fun, because I got to uh, eat breakfast with the Broncos and hang out with those guys and then go to the game. And I remember the year that they moved into Invesco, walking out somewhere near the bottom of the stands or something. I remember walking out and there were just fireworks going off and lights and bands and crowds cheering. I mean, the stands were just going wild. And I remember I was standing there just getting swept away by the glory of it. And then it was like I heard a whisper in my soul. I said, Peter, Peter, Peter. You just wait. You just wait. You wait until you hear every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them praising my glory. My glory. They're praising another glory somewhere else. <laughs> Peter, you just wait. So they're cheering for my glory. My glory is a slaughtered lamb standing on my throne. The radiance of God's glory is Jesus Christ and him crucified for the sins of the world. God's glory is grace. Unquenchable, unending, unbounded, white-hot grace. So you see, the Mount of Transfiguration is only the edge of glory. But Mount Calvary is the 
the heart of glory and where the church is built. Where the bride is built from Adam's bleeding side, his body broken, his blood shed, his righteousness. And so if we trust our own righteousness to build the sanctuary, we can't be built by God into his sanctuary. For it's the sanctuary of grace. And I think when you actually see that, it changes your entire religious experience. This was on Oprah like two days ago, okay? We're going to watch it. Not at all. I believe Jesus came to redeem us from our sins. I believe after going through this experience, I think everybody is equally in need of redemption. And I know firsthand experience that he loves unrighteous people. Because he, when I couldn't seek him anymore, he came and got me. And boy, did my religious experience change. Because before I thought, seek the Lord seek the scripture, seek all that. Then when he sought me, I was able to rest. And in how, did he, how did he field. seek you? How did Jesus seek you? I was dying. I was say, I was con- I'd settled in my mind exactly how I was going to commit suicide. I knew I was an embarrassment to my children. I was shamed to my church. I had negated everything that I'd taught and believed, although I thought they were true. But by my foolishness, I'd done that. And so I was preparing and in my life Jesus came to me and he said now we're ready now I can save you now we're ready now I can save you isn't that amazing you know who that is that's Ted Haggard former pastor of the largest church in Colorado author of numerous books president of the National Association of Evangelicals. In my mind, Ted Haggard built an awesome church. But just a few weeks ago, as Ted Haggard, or a few months ago, as he prepared to kill himself, Jesus appeared to him and said, now we're ready. Now I can save you. Now, you may be cynical, and I don't know exactly uh, what happened with Ted Haggard, but that sounds just like Jesus. To say that. Now we're ready. Now I can save you. Now. Does that mean Ted Haggard wasn't saved before? No, I don't, I don't think so. Does it mean New Life Church wasn't Christ Church before? I, I, no, I don't think so. Does it mean that we have to commit some big sexual sin, hide it, cover it up, or that we have to deny Jesus three times like Peter in order for God to build us into his church? No, I don't think so. But it does mean that God's method of building the church is very different than ours. In fact, we can't build the church. (laughs) Jesus does. And so we've got to ask this question, well, Is there anything that we can do? Well, the answer is yes. Yes. First and foremost, we can do nothing. Let me put it another way. There is nothing that we can do. And if we do Nothing well, 
God will do everything well in us, through us, and to us. Now, I know that I sound like some kind of kung fu master smoking a joint on late night made for TV movies or something like that, but just look at the life of Peter. I'm, I'm serious about this. In the story that we read, that's in three of the Gospels, Peter's talking away, he's trying to build the church out of pride, responsibility, and fear, and God stops him. Shabbat, stop, Sabbath. While Peter is talking, God interrupts him. You know, all suffering is God interrupting our plans, isn't it? Our procedures, our efforts to make ourselves in God's image. All suffering and Sabbath. Suffering is an enforced Sabbath. Sabbath is to stop, to end, and Jesus is the end. And God says, Peter, stop! This is my beloved son. Look at him. Listen to him. Surrender to him. You see, that's how we're transformed into the image of God. And that's how the church is built. Paul writes, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You know, we've been talking about looking into the mirror of the law and seeing ourselves as opposed to looking into the mirror of grace in which we see Christ. And we talked about how a bride can analyze herself, look at herself in a mirror for, for all eternity, and she still won't get pregnant. We're the bride. We're the sacred feminine. The, we're the grail to be filled with the life of the groom. A, a bride can't get pregnant by looking at herself in a mirror, but if a bride looks into the mirror that is her bridegroom's eyes, if she looks in his face and surrenders in worship, well, stuff happens. <laughs> worship feels a lot like nothing, but that's how fruit happens. That's how the bride gets pregnant. And so we have this motto at the sanctuary that's on the website. It goes like this. Jesus is our vision, and worship is our strategy. And now check this out. If I'm looking in the eyes of Jesus, Jesus is looking in my eyes, right? And he sees himself in my eyes. Jesus is our vision, and worship is our strategy, and we are Jesus' vision. And we, the church, are his strategy. He said, I will build my church. Look at me. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Peter tries to build the church till he's literally floored by the glory of God. Jesus picks him up, and Peter sees only Jesus. But that's only one degree of glory. There's more. He follows Jesus to the next mountain, Mount Zion, Mount Calvary. It's Jerusalem on a mountain. And on the sixth day in the upper room, he takes the bread and he breaks it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. 
And in the same manner, after supper, he takes the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. That night, Peter denies Jesus three times. For all of Peter's plans for glory are interrupted by God's glory. Jesus is crucified. As he said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. As Jesus' body is ripped apart on the cross, the veil in the temple veiling God's glory, the veil is ripped from the top to the bottom. On Mount Calvary, Jesus is glorified and Peter is utterly undone and emptied. Three days later, Jesus appears to Peter, picks him up, and Peter sees nothing but Jesus. Then Jesus commands Peter and the others to do nothing. <laughs> he does. He commands them to wait. For 40 days in that same upper room where Jesus broke the bread and poured the wine, they, they wait. They worship. They pray. On the day of Pentecost, the feast of first fruits, suddenly the glory of God fills the temple. The glory of God fills the bride, the grail, the new Jerusalem, the tabernacle, the sanctuary, the people of God, the church. In downtown Jerusalem, there are people from every nation in that city. It's this glorious mix. And in the upper room, wind, fire, miracles. I mean, the upper room provides just enough structure for good things to run wild. They uh, speak in all these foreign tongues, so there are no walls between nations. And there are no walls between nations and God, a church without walls. It's like Zechariah prophesied, a city without walls, and I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. And then Peter the coward stands up and preaches grace to all and for all. 3,000 are baptized that day. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and they share all things in common. And they change the world. And do you see? Peter didn't do it. Jesus did it on Peter. He built his church on Peter, and he still is right now. Jesus is our vision. Worship is our strategy, for we are Jesus' vision, and we, the church, are his strategy. And therefore, our first priority is to do nothing well. That is to start each week and everything with the Sabbath. Now, you know that it's much more than just a worship service. And yet our worship service expresses that truth. It's to look at Jesus, listen to Jesus, ingest Jesus, his body and blood broken and shed. The glory of God, it's the food that fuels us, the seed that finds its place in us. So you see, I think if we do that nothing well, I expect him to do everything well in us. I expect us to get pregnant. I expect us to move in the power of his grace, that, that food. And so we've structured this sanctuary in the hope that the things that we do would grow out of our corporate worship. Rather than the religious anxiety in Pastor 
Peter, Francis, and Justin's heads. So we don't want to dictate programs from the top down so much as nurture things that grow from the ground up. And you see, that's why we meet in house churches once a month. First, to remind you, you're the church. You are the sanctuary. You don't need me. You don't need this building. And secondly, to remind you that you are the church. God's Spirit dwells in you. If you feel call, God calling you to, to do something, do it. For instance, I think prayer partners are really cool. Um, but instead of me starting a prayer partner program, if you want a prayer partner, go to your house church and talk to someone and say, hey, you want to have coffee and pray this week? And do it. I think small groups are really cool. I mean, I really pushed them hard at Lookout, and I think everybody, I really do, I want everybody to be in a small group, but rather than come up with some elaborate small group program, even better is if you go to your house church, you meet some people, and you say, hey, you want to get together this week and talk about something? And if you need stuff to talk about, Bible says whatever, we can help you. We got all that stuff. I think ministry programs, service programs, recovery programs, mission programs, fellowship programs, they're all great. But in my experience, the very best ones of all, they grow from the ground up. Through his word, God creates a person with passion. They include others in their passion, like the rest of their house church. Then maybe it grows to include all of us. But you see, it grows from the broken soil of your heart and the grace of God implanted there. So pay attention to what God is growing in your heart. It may include all of us. You're the church. No matter what, you're the church. And no matter where you go, that is your ministry. I get concerned that we neurotic, busy Americans work so hard to build the church that we no longer take the time to be the church. The true church isn't something we try to be. It's something that we are. On Judgment Day, the sheep aren't even aware that they've, that they've served Jesus. They say, oh, when did we welcome you? When did we serve you a drink? I don't remember any drink-serving program. You see, I don't think they're trying to build the church. They just are the church. And so I'm saying all of this to remind us of our first priority out of which everything else springs and I don't know exactly where we're headed. I don't know if we're going to be big or small. I don't know if we'll always rent a building or someday buy a building. I don't know what programs will grow and ministries will spawn. I don't know what we'll do. But I know we'll do everything he wants us to do if we just stop, look, and listen to Jesus. Behold, the glory of God. Look, listen. He says, this is my body given to you. This is my blood poured out for you. What would you do if the glory of God suddenly manifest? in your midst.
Dark cups are wine. Lighter cups are juice. They're both the glory of God. In Jesus' name, let's worship. Jesus, transform us from the inside out. I think that's all we're saying. And thank you that's that, that that's your desire. For you make our inside your home, your sanctuary. And we thank you, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before you go, let me say, this message makes me insecure. Does that make sense, why it makes me insecure? I think, first of all, because... I'm kind of saying I don't have control. Um, and second of all, because I'm a professional. I mean, you pay me. So I feel like I should have control. Uh, like I should be able to come up with a bunch of charts and graphs and where we'll be this time and how we'll do this and how we'll do that and manage the whole thing. And the reality is I can do that. I got mostly A's in seminary and I'm pretty smart. But I've been around the church a long time. Grew up in the church, been through all kinds of church disasters, church successes. And what I've found is that the only thing that's real, the only thing that's lasting is the fruit he grows in broken hearts. And when he does that, I mean, all kinds of amazing programs happen. I mean, I've seen him. Things like, uh, you know, Healing Waters and Streets Hope and... And gosh, Cindy's here with what they're, what am I trying to say? Unbridled acts. I mean, God is doing all sorts of things. Even better, the things that just happen at the coffee shop or when you talk to somebody on the street. I mean, God is doing all of that. But what I'm trying to say and why I think this is so important is you really are the church. The Spirit of God really lives inside of you. He really is talking to you. He really will change this world through you. And that's not a curse. That's a blessing. He's saying to his children, come, let's go do it together. And he does it in you, through you, and to you. You're his sanctuary, his body, his people. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel.